was dressed like Bill Barnwell, Kevin Clark, Harry Lyles Jr., Courtney Cronin on the most fascinating calls of NFL Conference title weekend. The Lions dying the way they lived. Did Dan Campbell go forth too much? And never underestimate the hearts of a champion. They were underestimated, not exactly by everybody in this panel, but you're getting their mutes as well. Also, deflections of destiny and uh, discourse on a couple different quarterbacks to crush and defeat of Lamar Jackson. Let's go around the horn. I'm sure that was very unfair that you guys got the mutes of Vina Kimes and uh, Tip Kalashaw and everybody who picked against Kansas City. But this is what we do. We'll get to that in a second. History tells you 17-point leads in conference championship games are a bank safe. Teams don't blow them. Teams don't come back from them. So what happened last night in Santa Clara is a heist. Nervy for San Francisco, gutting for Detroit. How? It's hindsight, but it's the fourth down calls we start with because not only is that a direct results-based equation, it's also very much the DNA of Dan Campbell and the Lions. So what happens when your own DNA leads to your dis- demise? It's easy hindsight, and I get it, but I don't regret those decisions. And that's hard. You know, it's hard because, you know, they didn't. We didn't come through. We wasn't able to, to work out. And I understand the scrutiny I'll get. That's part of the gig, man. Just, Bill Barnwell, you've more. been voluminous on this, writing tomes. Tomes, so I know you're going to cook here. But uh, whether Campbell's fourth down decision-making needed to be different because of the stakes of this game and the way it was all playing out. Absolutely not. Tony, and we have multiple pieces of evidence saying that is not the case. The Lions have won two playoff games during this postseason. In both games, they went for it on fourth and short when other teams would have kicked a field goal. They won the game against the Lions by a single point when settling for a field goal would not have made the difference. They beat the Bucks last week in a game where they scored a fourth one with a guy who wasn't even supposed to be on the field. Craig Reynolds, who hadn't had a carry since Halloween, scored a touchdown. And no, going for it in that situation is not a perfect solution. It was a toss-up by ESPN's anal- ESPN analytics, but you lean towards what you do best, uh, and that's for the Lions. That is the offensive side of the football. That is being aggressive. And we have seen teams be conservative with big leads before in the postseason and fail. Go back to that Texans-Chiefs game a few years ago when the Texans were up 21-0 in the first half. They go to kick a field goal on fourth and one, go up 24-0. They don't give the Chiefs any momentum. And what happened? The Chiefs still stomped them by 20 Some might call that circumstantial evidence. I want to talk about this game, though, Bill Barnwell. The way it was going sideways in the second half for Detroit. Does that give them any pause? What, what was going sideways for them when they tried that first field goal? They were up a bunch in the first half. They settled for a field goal at the end of the first half. The Niners took a field goal. They drive straight down the field and get in field goal range. This was not a point where the Lions were struggling. That was what happened after they failed in that fourth down. So to me, I don't think they were in a position where they needed to stop the Niners' okay. momentum. That hadn't happened yet. So no regrets. No regrets. All right. Kevin Clark, I asked the same question to you. I'm mad at Dan Campbell for not going for it enough. He should have gone for it at the end of the half when they had the opportunity (laughs) to go up even more. Uh, I will share this. I talked to Dan Campbell with us a couple of years ago. He's not an analytics guy, quote unquote. 
He was with Sean Payton in New Orleans, and he would see how scared defenses got when he would go for it on fourth down. He said, I want to do that. This is not a spreadsheet guy. This is a guy trusting his gut and trusting his players. Nobody says take the points to Andy Reid. Nobody said it to Jim Harbaugh. Nobody said it during the Philly special. This was about execution, not decision-making. Over the course of the game, the Lions started playing sloppier. The defense started to get worn down. There was a talent edge and a coaching edge on the offensive side of the ball because Kyle Shanahan is one of the best offensive minds in the history of the sport. Dan Campbell knew he had to close. He got aggressive. He did not want to get away from his identity. This is what he wants to do. If you start getting away from your identity and your football philosophy because it gets scary, that's called cowardice. Dan Campbell is not a coward. That is beautifully philosophical from Kevin Clark as well. <laughs> Harry Lyles Jr., same question applies to you and how this all went wrong for Detroit. I think it went wrong at the hands of what has been the thing that you should expect from this Detroit Lions team and Dan Campbell, which is that they are going to go forward on fourth down, which you can't get really disappointed if you have re reasonable expectations of them, which is this is what they do. However, in the first nine of the 11 possessions in the second half, the 49ers had five of those, the Lions had four. The 49ers had three touchdowns and two field goals on those five possessions. For the Lions, they turned it over on downs, they fumbled it, they punted it, and they turned it over on downs. So when you have those empty possessions and you're giving the 49ers the ball back and they are scoring every single time, I'm sorry, I'm a very big believer in momentum, especially in a game where you have a Detroit Lions team who is doing something that they haven't done in 30 years. You've got a bunch of young guys on a football team that is going up against a 49ers team that has not only been in this position, but a lot of those guys have played in a Super Bowl. And so they know the circumstances under which to play in. At some point or another, you have to stop that momentum. You have to have something positive going for you. And the Lions never got that. So this was about the plays that the Lions didn't make and the plays that the 49ers Understood. didn't Understood. Uh, you lost me there. It sounded like you were about to tell me you think they should have kicked a field goal on one of those second-to-last possessions. I, I personally would have, but I don't think that you can get upset with Dan Campbell for sticking to what he's done and, to Bill's point, has been successful all season. Courtney Cronin, to you. For those acting like the field goal would have been automatic, must I remind you that Michael Badgley, the analytics, show that he is far from automatic from yards 45 to 49 outdoors 50 percent in his career he hasn't made one of those kicks outside since the 2020 season they lost more expected points on the jameer gibbs fumble on the ball bouncing off of kindle vildor's face mask on the josh reynolds drop which one of two the one on fourth down they lost more on but then also you know where did amon ross st brown go up until the fourth quarter he was the security blanket for jared Goff and then that incompletion on fourth and third was just, you know, icing on the cake for an offense that completely disappeared in the second half. So if you want to look at the analytics, yes, it's it's, you know, the discourse today is all about Dan Campbell and these fourth down decisions that went the wrong way for the Lions, but this game was lost a bunch of other directions in the second half. All right, Bill, Kevin, Courtney, I ex I accept your representation. It wasn't about the fourth downs. For 24-7 to 7 at the half, to turn the other way like it did, I want Bill now to discuss, was it what San Francisco did or what Detroit didn't do? Because everything flipped at halftime, Bill. It was absolutely what the 49ers did, and especially on the offensive side of the ball. They were struggling. Brock Purdy was turning the ball over. For the second game in a row, he did not look confident. The situation maybe was a little too big for him. And in the second half, his QBR improved from about 33 to about 99. He was 
so much more secure and poised. He got a little lucky. I mean, hey, nobody drew up a play where they were going to throw the ball off Kendall Vildor's face mask 50 yards downfield. But you get a break, and maybe that leads to some stuff for you. Brock Purdy scrambled three times for 51 yards. To me, it felt like the word here was resilient. Brock Purdy didn't crumble the way he did in the Ravens game. He brought himself back and won the game for the 49ers. Clark? Yeah, momentum is real in football, but it's usually code for turnovers and pass rush. And under pressure, Jared Goff was 3 of 13 in this game with a 39 rating. Um, and by the way, Nick Bosa, eight pressures on the day. Armstead, four pressures on the day. Hargraves, three pressures on the day. They had the talent edge, and that showed over the course of the game. We don't need to. Bill just illustrated uh, the offense just started to, to sort of roll downhill in the second half. Um, but I just think generally this was about Jared Goff's inability to make a play in a time frame when Brock Purdy was doing it. Lyles Jr.? Tony, this is all about how the 49ers responded. I don't think any of us would have blamed the 49ers if they just laid down and didn't play a good second half because of how dominant the Lions were on both sides of the mm -hmm. ball in that first half. And for them to come out here, reset, and have all of those things going for them, to me, I think when you combine even, the, let's say the IU catch, right, which was a lucky thing, whatever, but you also had the Purdy scrambles, those little plays that feel like backbreakers make the already bad things that are happening to you feel worse and because the 49ers were able to execute on those. To me, that is where things started going right for them. And Courtney Cronin. When they got that stop on fourth down at their own 28-yard line, you know, that wasn't all they needed to do right there. They needed to come through on the offensive end. And we can look at that Brandon Ayuk 51-yard reception, but what set up that reception? That was Debo Samuel in the 17-yard catch. And there was two times in 15 minutes in the second half where Brock Purdy, who had his longest run before this game in 29 career starts with 17 yards, he had two rushes of 21 yards each to save drives in the second half. That is coming through in the clutch for this 49ers team. And frankly, that's what saved them with Brock Purdy in shedding for all intents and purposes forever. This game manager label, because he proved in this game that he Oh, yeah? You don't think anyone's ever going to bring it up again? I, 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 <laughs> the discourse on this is cool. He's like the most polarizing player in the NFL right now. Purdy is in the hot eye of the beholder, Kevin Clark. So what is it about him and your takeaway from his game? We're promoting him from game manager to vice president of game services for the San Francisco 49ers. He is okay. All right. basically he has, the, <laughs> he has the easiest job in quarterbacking, but that doesn't mean he can't make plays. Six scrambles and his best scrambling performance according to Next Gen Stats. Three passes for first downs off the scrambles, three runs for first downs. He made plays as the game went on. It is a very easy system to play, to play in. Kyle Shanahan, all that talent around him, all the skill guys, but he is playing out of structure. He's got that dog in him. That's a technical term. And he is making the most out of this system. Right, He's Lyle, a system junior, guy. He's very good at this. I don't – do we got to put a label on it? I mean, can the guy be good at playing the position, right? I mean, we've seen the bad Brock Purdy. We saw him in the first half of this game. We saw the good Brock Purdy, not just in the second half of this game, but throughout the season. That's why he threw for 30-some-odd touchdowns and had, like, 10 interceptions during the year. Like, at some point or another, you have to be able to get credit for the things that you are doing out on the field. Is he one of the five or ten best quarterbacks in the NFL? Probably not. But also, who cares? This guy was the last pick of the draft two years ago, got to the NFC Championship game, and now they're playing in the Super Bowl. If that's not good enough for people, like, then what is you're that not uh, You're not wrong. History is littered with helmet catches and immaculate receptions, and it builds 
on top of each other. Everybody gets a little bouncy play every now and then. The discourse on him, though. If you, Courtney, if you think he comes out in the Super Bowl and has a subpar game, that that conversation is already over because he won this game, I, th I think you're crazy. All right, taking a break right here. One of the most heartening things I heard, though, was Dan Campbell talking after the game about the resilience of his team, but also we may not get here again, which is an enormous thing to tell these athletes at this moment, but it's a reality. We've seen it. And as we go to buy or sell next, that question applies to the Baltimore Ravens. A crushing loss to the league's best team all season. We'll talk about it next. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Welcome back to Around the Horn, coming to you from the seaport. Brought to you by Patron. Perfection starts with Patron. Never underestimate the heart of a champion. I know, again, not your mute, but you're getting up. Kansas City. And Destiny Delvaccio from middle school. We'll talk about them in a second. On the other side, Baltimore's crushing loss. Lamar's cold, desolate winter. Let's start there. Deafening and damning criticism that he melts down in the big games. And here this throw into triple coverage. It's an image that will sit for a while. But there is the other play in this game that was an enormous turn of events. Fumbling inches away from the goal line. Say flowers. Here is Jackson after the game. I'm not frustrated at all. Um, I'm, I'm angry about, you know, losing. Uh, we were a game away from the Super Bowl. Offense, we didn't put nothing on the board. We scored once. That's not like us, you know. We drew the ball down the field. That's cool, but we got to put points on the board. But I feel like Harry, my team how is do you angry. angry, and how real is this criticism that he melts down in the biggest moments? As somebody that has often defended Lamar Jackson to almost no end, I can't really defend him at this point. Now, he should be mad with Todd Monken and how this game played out because when you only run the ball six times with your running backs and you were the best rushing team in the NFL this season going up against a run defense that was 27th mm. in the NFL, that, that is inexcusable 
to me. But then at some point, though, if you are Lamar Jackson, dude, you got to make the plays that they are giving you. You have to, like, that is one of the things that we know you to be as one of the best freelancers in the NFL. He did not do that. And it's somebody who's well aware of the circumstances. He literally talked about last week this being his time. And especially given the fact that you are going up against the standard of the NFL of the last half decade, and they have never looked weaker than they have right now, and you just came up absolutely flat. Morning, he should be mad at himself for being a big play hunter. On the drive that ended with the interception, he was forcing the entire time, not taking what the defense gave him. And you can be upset with the game plan. Three explosive plays on to combat 20 blitzes is not going to cut it. But in these moments, the conversation of Lamar Jackson and the success that he's had in the postseason versus the success that he's had in the regular season, it's a very real one. His completion percentage drops about 10% from the regular season of the postseason, and that's going to be the topic of conversation for the next Okay, of I hear a bad word so there. Welcome to the conversation. We're having it right now. So he's about to be a two-time MVP. Multiple MVPs without an appearance in the Super Bowl. Does anybody know? It's only happened once before. It happened to a player named Peyton Manning who would then go on to win a Super Bowl later and win more MVPs later. So when you think about that, Bill Barnwell, how confident are you that Lamar can break through in what you saw yesterday? I can because this idea of Lamar not being able to win big games is this it's this moving the goalpost analogy that I hate. Was it a big game on Christmas Day when they were playing the Niners in the game of the year and Lamar was nearly perfect? Was it a big game the following week? Of course, of course. But you'd agree this is a bigger game being the one seed at home where everything was falling into line that this would be the year, correct? But why is it that we're, we're only counting the big games when Lamar loses? Was it a big game last week in the playoffs as the one seed at home against the Texans when he was perfect in the second half? To me, I, I just don't I, – I think if we're putting that bar the way we did on Payton in the years past, we're creating this idea that he can't do it. But I, I'm not going to say he played well today, but he's played well in big games earlier in the year. I have no reason to think that he can't do it. I just think this was a, a formula that didn't work for him. Devin today. Clark. First of all, I look forward to podcasting for Lamar Jackson and his media company in 15 years, if this all holds. Um, having said that, I, I think that uh, Lamar Jackson was bad yesterday. Todd Munkin was worse. Where was the game plan we saw in the second half against Houston? Quick game stuff, more decisive runs. Only five games total this year had a less, uh, less of a run rate than yesterday when the matchup favored it. They should have just run the ball down Kansas City's throat. It's like they were testing the DBs. It was like they were setting it up for a Lamar masterclass when really they should have just tried to win the game. It was baffling. Todd Munkin has a lot to think about over the next nine months. So does Lamar Jackson. We'll take a turn for the Kansas City team now. Never underestimate the heart of a champion. Here they go on the other side of the ball of that crushing loss was an incredible synergy and surgery from Mahomes and Kelsey. That's how the game started. And maybe they didn't open it up late. Maybe they just took the air out of the ball and took on this win. This was a team a month and a half ago that looked like they were down. What is it, Kevin Clark? First of all, we missed the story. Uh, the story this year was not about the wide receivers dropping passes in Kansas City. It was not about the lack of depth on the offensive side of the ball. It was about a defense that was the youngest in the NFL making plays and becoming 
I won't say the E word, but very, very good. Dee Spagnolo is one of the best coordinator hires this century. The floor for Patrick Mahomes every single year with Andy Reid is the AFC title game. So you have to pray when you get there that either he has a flaw or you play perfect football. The Ravens did not play perfect football, and guess what? Mahomes doesn't have a flaw right now. Bill Barnwell, could it be possible this is their best run? Most impressive, maybe most complete roster, certainly. But I disagree with Kevin. I think it is about the wide receivers dropping passes and not dropping passes in the postseason. This was the highest drop rate for any group of wide receivers over the last decade during the regular season. They've dropped one pass so far this postseason. They've improved in an offense where they have to check the ball down and matriculate the ball down the field because they don't hit many big plays. I've always believed in the Chiefs. They were my pick before the season. They were my pick after the regular season. And they are my pick in the Super Bowl. Tony Corona. Tony, karma is a tight end, breaking the all-time receptions record in the playoffs after being less than explosive during the during the regular season. Travis Kelsey was their offense in the first half of this game in Baltimore. And let's give some credit to Patrick Mahomes. What he's doing, arguably the greatest 28-year-old accomplishment in NFL history. And the key to the turnaround offensively has been his play and the lack of turnover-worthy plays that he's committed. Tony, I think the thing that people need to accept about this Kansas City Chiefs team that perhaps they didn't really accept early on in the season is that these teams are always going to look different in different eras of at least Patrick Mahomes' career. The Tom Brady Patriots in 2001 looked vastly different than what they were doing in later years, and we're going to see that with Patrick Mahomes because he is another all-time great quarterback, the greatest of all time. Aaron Lyles Jr. and Bill Barnwell. Bill. Played a big game in the first segment of the show, but then this was a bigger game the next segment of the show. (laughs) Lark Cronin. Showdown next. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Courtney Crone and Kevin Clark, good luck in showdown. Give me a taste. First bite into this Super Bowl matchup. KC opens up as a Super Bowl underdog. Is that how you see it, Courtney? I do not, but they were underdogs in Buffalo. They won. They were underdogs uh, in Baltimore. They won. They were underdogs in the Super Bowl last year, and they won. Patrick Mahomes, 10-1-1 against the spread, 9-3 straight up as an underdog. Furthest thing from it. Kevin Clark? Yeah, none of these stats matter for Patrick Mahomes. He comes back from double, digit, double digits better than any franchise in the history of uh, football, let alone a quarterback. Uh, he is in his MJ era. That means everybody else is a minor character. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, now Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy. The Chiefs will win. I never understand how this works because I don't gamble. But the idea that they're trying to gin up interest in a game, I think people are going to bet on the Super Bowl no matter what. But the idea that they're constantly underdogs and still the franchise everybody calls a <laughs> dynasty is amazing to me. Kevin Clark, great show today. Wire to wire win. I have a solution for the NBA's load management problem. Joel Embiid opted out. Some would say ducked. I would say ducked. I'm a huge boxing fan. I know it when I see it. Uh, Denver over the weekend. 
when someone doesn't play like that, Adam Silver should be able to call in what I'll call the uh, the, the fan service uh, button here, okay? That means autograph sessions or a Q&A with fans. All of these fans who could come from Australia and, and Asia and to fly to see Luka Doncic and all these guys who opt out, you gotta sign autographs on the concourse if you opt out of a game. You gotta uh, give the fans what they want. That's all I'm saying. NBA has a ducking problem, says Kevin Clark. Joel Embiid, oh my goodness. Of course, NBA also has a scoring problem. Is 73 still 73? <laughs> Luka doing it. I mean, He's after Embiid did it. People lose games with 62 on a weekly basis. Numbers are juiced. We're on a 23 and a half hour break. We'll save that story for tomorrow. See you then.